So my name is Bergrún Snæbjörsdóttir. Uh, I'm an Icelandic composer. My, my journey into composition maybe starts with uh, me being uh, trained in horn performance. I studied at the Icelandic Arts Academy and then uh, also at the Conservatory in Reykjavik before that. Uh, I was touring with uh, pop groups like Björk and Sigurós uh, while I was studying, kind of, or in between, like weaving in and out. Uh, and then I kind of, I think, I think through that, you know, seeing these alternative kinds of uh, music or experiencing them and performing, performing them, uh, it was quite jarring to like go back and forth between that kind of life and going into the classical uh, world. Uh, so I kind of started rebelling pretty quickly and I, I realized that oh I can actually I could be composing as well you know I think I think that must have that seed must have been planted by experiencing Björk and touring with Björk uh, because I don't really think I had any role models before that or or anything even close to it you know like a like a an alternative uh, woman thinker so you really didn't start composing until then that, that's kind of the first time it clicked to like hey i should be making my own stuff yeah i think that's where at least there was the thought that oh hey i could be making music i don't hmm. have to be uh, stuck in this kind of systematic uh, conveyor belt uh, mm -hmm. that I felt like mm -hmm. I was putting myself on, which mm -hmm. is you know um, it's so it's um, it's hard to kind of take yourself out of that mindset once you're in it. It's kind of like a box that you you are in, and it's hard to kind of see the way out. Um, you mean as a like pure performer versus like a maker yeah 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 um hmm. but i feel like yes uh, then um then i i mean i i got my uh, bachelor's in horn performance but all the while i was uh kind of uh going more and more into the composing side of things and like ignoring uh my uh practicing maybe mm -hmm. <laughs> um my teacher wasn't very happy about that and <laughs> yeah i started uh playing music by these guys uh these this composer society called slauter yeah. uh, which is an acronym for uh, artistically obtrusive composers around reykjavik mm -hmm. and uh, experiencing the, their approach to music really changed everything for me uh, they were they were doing a lot of experimental music. They were doing lots of visual notation, uh, which I just really it really kind of gave gave music a new meaning. It it uh, was experimental in its essence, which is something I hadn't really known before, and uh, has influenced my way of composing ever since.
can you explain, just in case people don't know what an, what an animated score is, even? An um, animated score is uh, basically just a moving score. Anything really can be an animated score. Uh, you could take a video of uh, ants walking up and down and call that an animated score, I suppose. Uh, right. uh, but basically, there's moving elements that the performers are interpreting. Cool. Awesome. I always like to, uh, you know, to talk about Guitar Hero. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be that. You're right. That's a that's a good, very colloquial yeah. example of basically what an animated score is. You will all know animated scores. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Guitar Hero. Yeah. It's uh, true. No, but it's very true. <laughs> and I. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about it when I actually I wrote in 2012 or 13 a piece for two electric guitars uh, using oh. uh, f freeze pedals, freeze pedals and uh, ebos and uh, volume pedals, and uh, I wasn't even thinking about the Guitar Hero uh, association at the time until uh. so someone brought it up and I was like, oh wow, yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like Dance Dance Revolution, that's, a, that's another classic example. Mm, mm. Maybe just like, I'm interested in like also because now, like when you started taking part in Slautur, uh, their community concerts and stuff, and you were super like trained in, in like the classical realm, like how was it for you approaching then like kind of, uh, you know, uh, had you done some like improvisation before that? Mm, no, not really. Um, mm. uh, I didn't really uh, tour with Seguros until after I was mm -hmm. kind of starting to work with Slaughter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, maybe in, Se in Seguros we would improvise sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I don't think really I, I encountered that before. Uh, I think it all kind of happened once I started playing their music. And I, ha I had been uh, performing other composers' music before that, but nothing really that called for improvisation in any way, or, or open open uh, kind of score or graphic score, not really, no. So you, when you met them, you were really kind of in the mindset of like, I'm, I'm, a, horn, I'm a horn player, I'm a classical horn player. Yeah, well, yeah, I was feeling really frustrated. Uh, that's for sure. And, and I think I was, I was doing maybe, uh, you know, electronic music on my laptop. I think that that was as far as I was going, completely only for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I had started to uh, compose brass music. Uh, I had I had been writing these, uh, you know, uh, ideas for maybe a quintet or a trio. I think I did a death set, you know, because obviously uh, when I was touring with Björk, it was as a part of a brass death set, so I had access to... Mm. Uh, those those people and uh, could experiment in that way but that was all mm -hmm. notated uh, I didn't really understand that there was other things you could do uh, so <laughs> you know Sibelius notes on paper cool and so I mean since then animated notation and and graphic notation has been like a big part of your uh, of your practice yeah, um, it, it was definitely heavily a big part when I like properly started composing, which is mm. maybe around 2011-12, mm. um, when uh, I think my, my first animated score was a 
was a piece for six instruments and uh, any amount of percussion players, uh, which we performed at Tectonics Festival in 2012 with, with Slauter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't perform in it, which was a very surreal situation for me <laughs> to be in. That I still remember, I still remember, uh, you know, I think we performed some other piece that I performed, maybe something by Guðmundur Steyn or Páll Ívan Pálsson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I made the decision, I, I'm gonna oh. leave the stage and I'm gonna sit in the audience. And mm-hmm. there was quite a lot of people there. Uh, <laughs> I was and I there. Just remember, you were there, yeah. And I just had my heart in my throat. I was yeah. like, this is this is going to be terrible. Uh. <laughs> like, so that was the first time you were on that side yes, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was quite a big wow. concert too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like a birth by fire, through fire. Is that is that an English mm-hmm. phrase or uh, yeah, yeah. Icelandic? Uh-huh. Yeah, it is, it is. Eldskir, yeah. Eldskir, yeah. It, oh, it's trial by fire. Trial yeah. By fire. Okay. yeah. Oof. I, I don't think I could focus on the music at that. Like, I didn't really. I, I was just completely up and, you know, like wired. Just going. Oof. I'll go, I'll go through, like, why I made that piece. Uh, because I had been uh, performing these animated scores that a lot of the Slaughter members were uh, creating, uh, I could I could uh, feel something. I could feel that I, I had some sort of personal take on this. I felt like uh, a lot of the times they were showing people their animated scores, uh, except for Guðmundur State, uh, a composer. He. Uh, he made the deliberate choice of not showing the audience his score. And this was something I, I was thinking a lot about. You know, why doesn't he want people to see his scores? And why are... People in the yeah, audience. Yeah, the audience, yes. Uh, and why why are the other people uh, letting the audience see their scores? Uh, which I didn't really agree with sometimes. Why they made that choice. So I thought, you know, there's something here because... Uh, when you're looking at an animated score, uh, what happens is you're looking at information, you're looking at the same information that the performers are looking at and interpreting. And uh, after a while, it might get a little predictable, or you know, you might start to, you might think, oh, I get it, I understand what they're trying to do, and then your your attention kind of might wander. Or, you know, and is that what you want as a composer? Uh, this is something I was thinking a lot about. And so I made my own animated notation uh, score, which uh, slowly morphs. It starts as kind of these, as, uh, these branches growing out from three centers, but then slowly morphing into a kind of a mask over Lindsay Lohan's face. Uh, that's the climax of the piece, uh, uh, and uh, I think uh, people people just gradually notice what's happening. You know, maybe someone will uh, uh, turn on to it quicker than another person, but there's always change there, and you don't really know what's going on until the very end.
and that was Lohan Emalia. Uh, I wrote that in 2012. I've often thought about like even just like looking looking at a score and listening to the music at the same time. It takes a little bit away from the experiencing, hearing yeah. the sound itself and so forth. And sometimes for me, like these pieces become then just completely about what's happening in the, uh, in the animation, figuring it out. And then you are just like, you know, like, okay, this is coming, this is coming. And, and, and that's exactly. the, your interaction, not the interaction with the sound. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like, like, what do you want people to be perceiving? Because uh, mm -hmm. what, what we see takes up so much space. I, I think it's kind of underthought most of the time is, is that it's something about like 70 or 80 percent of our of our sensory function is revolving around what we see. So when you present that kind of information, mm -hmm. it's quite a heavy load and you're taking away from the listening mm -hmm. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So how has your work changed since that kind of light bulb moment of realizing, hey, I don't actually have to show kind of everything. It doesn't have to be kind of like a presentation of my score. How, how have you kind of moved away from that and but still kept elements of the animated score? Um, I feel like uh, for now, I mean, I definitely evolved this kind of thought into like uh, something a little different and more nuanced through the years. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, for example, in 2014, I wrote a piece for a uh, 16-piece ensemble, which uh, only the part, part of the ensemble is actually uh, interpreting moving notation, anime notation, uh, that the audience can also see. But the rest of the ensemble is doing something completely different, still related to what you're transcoding, the animated notation, but creating this sort of uh, uh, instability, like you, you can't fall into complacency that easily because there is something else happening that you are sensing and experiencing. This is called Esoteric Mass uh, and was uh, commissioned by Ilan Vorkov and the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra in yeah, 2014. Um, again, Tectonics Festival, uh, which, which is, uh, was a big part of our lives here uh, in, the, in the, what do you call it? The, what's the decade? What do we call? <laughs> this is the, we're in the 20s now. What do we call the last one? Oh, the, te the teens or some, some people say the teens 
I think some people say are the aught no the aughts are the early 2000s. Mm. So I think it's just the the teens. The, the teens. Twenty tens. The twenty tens. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh. <laughs> but um, you know, um, and then uh, now I I feel like I've kind of moved away from literal animated notation, but I think still something that informs the way I think about approaching new work uh, is this this perceptory thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what what am I presenting visually to an audience, and what am I not presenting is something that take, mm-hmm. takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you're still you're still very much thinking of what the uh, that that you want to present a certain kind of visual uh, layer visual atmosphere for the audience. It's not that you totally kind of erase that from your practice. Um, no, that's not gone. Uh, I don't do it all the time, but I if there is a visual element to a work, it's always something that I have to think about a lot uh, in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of uh, what I'm presenting. Yes, mm-hmm. um, that maybe brings us like if we turn the the, the camera around to kind of the performers, um, mm-hmm. um, and and like you as a performer who maybe got frustrated in the in the beginning to grapple with like different modes of notation and different um uh, things like how has it been um i mean presenting your work to the icelandic symphony orchestra um people that have maybe not a lot of experience in and like dealing with uh, that this kind of new music mm. um yeah it's been uh it's been something uh that i'm i'm always trying to uh keep an eye on is uh what is the ensemble that i'm writing for who are these people uh, what's their background uh you know if it's a commission that then i can really take that into consideration mm. i i don't try to really push something that I just know isn't really going to work for mm-hmm. certain kinds of people with certain kinds of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that also kind of takes us a little bit into, uh, I know we're really interested in hearing uh, about kind of your process, if you can maybe walk us through kind of like the process from idea to uh, kind of the piece itself and you know, where do you get your ideas? How how do you, if you have all these multiple elements of the electronics and, you know, maybe some kind of a special score situation and uh, the visual elements, all this, kind of what things come first and how do you think through that kind of working process? Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I'm working with a sort of uh, empiristic... Uh, reconstructing perceived phenomena in like uh, social situations or natural situations mm-hmm. so uh you know it's it's kind of a very confined within how i perceive things uh, how uh, how i perceive something that's happening around me and uh creating a kind of a closed system out of something that I've been observing. Uh, 
it's quite abstract these uh, these mm. uh, systems mm. uh, let's say let's say for example uh, just uh, watching water uh, watching mm. the movement of water trying to reach mm-hmm. uh, a bank what you call it of a pond mm-hmm. for example and and then only to be pushed back and kind of mm. uh, coming to some sort of realization about human psychology at the same time as watching this. Mm-hmm. I guess that was would be the closest thing to uh, mm-hmm. explaining what it is that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you're seeing some kind of a natural phenomena occur in front of you. Uh, and then you're kind of the human psychology part of it is like you're kind of interpreting, putting your human layer of like, what is the system that's happening and how can I uh, kind of harness a similar system or like use some kind of a s- idea of that system in something musical? Uh, it, it, that's not really, that's not exactly what happens because uh, this, is, this is just uh, like, uh, these are just like the thoughts that I have and they don't necessarily have anything mm-hmm. to do with music at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But what happens is I get the, this intense feeling and uh, feeling of realization and uh, and it's almost like a, uh, yeah, there's a process that starts uh, rolling in, in my head mm-hmm. uh, that I'm just trying to make sense of. And sometimes, sometimes it kind of connects with a certain, certain uh, not necessarily sound, but maybe a texture or a, or a system of feelings or and and then you know um, because sound is how I'm trying to express this mm. uh, or not sound is how I just try to express anything that I'm feeling. Mm. I don't really have another medium of outlet, so so that's that's mm. kind of what I automatically start tying it to. Um, mm. It, it, and but it's not a forced thing it's just like i have to kind of manifest uh, these thoughts and these feelings mm-hmm. and so what what comes out of it is this kind of a, a sonic equivalence that you know it, it sometimes it's slow mm-hmm. slow cooking uh, sometimes i know what what the sounds are and mm-hmm. i just have to kind of look for them and find the right fit mm-hmm. uh, but you know other times i really have to work hard and uh, i'm not quite mm-hmm. sure actually what the sounds are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that often comes in at different stages in the process it could be a thing that doesn't kind of come around exactly or get pinned down until much later but it, in some way you see it as kind of still even if it comes much later it, you're still kind of pulling it out of the of out of the idea and out of the system you still yeah. feel like it's not like an added layer you're adding on top no right? no 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 mm-hmm. no there's there's always kind of a an inner logic that uh, there would never be i feel like a separation of that kind in my work like a layer on top mm-hmm. of layer mm-hmm. is something i don't connect to at all uh, Mm. Uh, you know, like a like looping music. People who use loopers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I never really connected quite with that either. You know, something mm-hmm. something <laughs> in the vein uh, of uh, layering. Uh-huh. 
I don't, I don't know why I thought uh, of that, uh, but right. you know. Um, <laughs> it's a, I like I like the shade though. That's good shade to throw. Out. Oh no 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 shade meant. <laughs> just just my personal preference. Yeah yeah, yeah no. no I'm joking I'm joking. I'm interested in your idea of form. You you talk about process mm. and like, I remember once um, he hearing hearing a, a really beautiful piece by you in Skaulholt um, oh. and uh, it was by not played by Nordic effects you know and like I couldn't really like I couldn't really I, I was thinking about it afterwards that I really couldn't figure out and like any clear process or anything in the piece but I, it and it felt like you know it could have been 10 minutes long it could have been 20 minutes long it could be 30 minutes long but you had to take a decision about it and and so my question is just like why having it you know a certain length um and and how do you like in, in general think about length and and things in your in your pieces mm, yeah good question i mean usually usually it just comes out of necessity mm -hmm. you know you know if a if I'm allowed an hour, then great. Um, I, d I don't really, I don't really uh, try to push necessarily. If someone gives me a time constriction, mm -hmm. I just uh, usually see a composition as a, it's already there mm -hmm. and you just kind of, you just start hearing it when the piece starts and then the piece stops. I don't necessarily feel like it stops. Uh, you know it's it's kind of like a, yeah I think that's that's how I think about f maybe you know the time within a piece mm -hmm. it's just like a, yeah you're entering a state you're entering a situation and then you leave it or move on to the next mm -hmm. state and the time constricts constricts that I'm given Sure, I mean, not a big deal, you know, if you give, if you have two minutes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. We can still experience that and then move on. Nice. Yeah. How, how do you think about the, then inside of that? It sounds like you're very structural in terms of, for the mechanisms for how things happen in your music. Um, how do you think through the the passing of uh like you said i think you said the word section you didn't say the word sections you said you know moving through different feelings or moving through different i can't remember the word you a used. state states yeah. yeah states yeah yeah how do you think about that moving from one to another or that kind of architecture of the the building of going from one to another or how how many there are or why why you move to another do you kind of plan that out is that a, th a thing that you kind of is coming out of the logic way in advance usually, or is that a thing you kind of are feeling as you're? Yeah, that there, uh, there, I would say there's not really logic to that. That's definitely I think all felt, and very mm. kind of improvisational. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So it seems like you, you, it, it's almost like uh, you kind of work from this way where you are very kind of very motivated by some kinds of structural things from the beginning and then it almost gets into a more and more and more intuitive and more and more felt kind of like um kind of process gradually to the point where 
yeah, you're kind of just making decisions on the fly as opposed to um, necessarily kind of, oh, I have to fill out this and this and this thing and I have to carve out these spaces. It's almost like you start from a much more kind of structural way and kind of get into a more of a felt way later. Or you don't, maybe it sounds like maybe you don't even think about it as separate things, right? Like, no, not really. I feel like, um, you know, I, I have these uh, these worlds or systems in, in mind and I, I kind of map them out and I, you know, make all my rules and everything. And then, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but then, you know, in terms of like uh, altering those systems or moving between alterations, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, yeah, that's all just a matter of uh, feeling mm-hmm. and uh, intuition. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, on the flip side, then, can you, you just mentioned the word rules. (laughs) Um, And I think I'd also like to use that word to kind of get us a little bit back into what Georg was talking about with the difference in working with performers as well. Can you talk a little bit about, firstly, structurally and compositionally for your pieces, how do rules work in your music and why have rules? Um, And then the, the larger thing that I'm kind of getting at with that is this kind of question of control as a composer um, or as a person making anything um, this is maybe a little bit different but how, how do you feel like if you have these kind of open things like an open score or a graphics score or something like that where does the control lie in working with a performer for you mm, yeah well um, those are kind of two separate things yeah well um, you know I, I feel like I'm always trying to work with uh, material that I don't fully understand. Uh, And I feel like I always try to leave something open in that regard for a performer to to kind of surprise me uh, so that I discover something through the process, Uh, which is you know, basically the definition of what experimental music is, it's kind of setting up a process where you're not sure of the outcome, the end. Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, for, for me, that's just, that's the main goal is like, I want to hear something that I didn't really expect or like, I want to hear something that, uh, astonishes me uh, you know I don't really care care so much um, I don't really think a lot about you know if other people will be surprised it's more about myself uh, like hearing oh you know oh wow this happened oh that's that's incredible I didn't really expect that mm-hmm. you know is that is that surprise moment happening in the process of writing the thing or that you're talking about or is it in a in a performance in the performance you're surprised by something that happens. yeah i try to establish a piece in that way uh, most often i'm i'm generalizing like when i'm mm-hmm. these with these types of compositions yes i try to uh i, I try to uh organize the material in such a way that yes there there will be something that surprises mm. me yeah cool 
Um, let's start like maybe focusing a little bit on the on the piece we are gonna be focused on ego gnosis. Um, mm -hmm. This beautiful piece. What do you want to maybe start to introduce that a little bit? Yeah, um, I I sent you guys a recording of Echognosis, uh, which was performed I think in April uh, here in Reykjavik and in Roulette, New York City, by the International Contemporary Ensemble, uh, who commissioned the piece, and I had been working with them a lot as their artist in residence, uh, like over a two year span I think. By the way, an amazing group, so grateful. Um, yeah, this was a kind of a, like a compromised performance because of uh, COVID. So, you know, originally it was thought of as more of a more of an installative uh, performance where, you know, um, the performers would be in a space with an audience. Novel idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, where people could uh, walk around and experience the work. Mm. But instead, uh, we figure out this also amazing solution, given the situation, which was uh, uh, that we uh, broadcast the direct input from the ensemble in Roulette, New York, into Harpa, Reykjavik, the venue, uh, and kind of uh, did like a dual uh, site performance. And it was beautiful, I think, but only... Um, 10 people actually heard it in real life, uh, mm. but there was a live stream. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what were the two, what were the different things that were happening in each space? Uh, in Roulette, New York, uh, we had five performers. Uh, they were mic'd up and we were sending uh, their direct uh, sound into a laptop where, which took the sound and we had some mild effects, uh, mostly uh, delay and uh, LFO effect. And then sending their output, uh, output from the laptop into tam-tams, um, which were being uh, transduced, which means uh, there were tiny little speakers uh, attached to the metal. Uh, kind of resonating the gongs, well, we call them gongs or tam-tams, mm. um, resonating them uh, with the performers. So just the tam-tams were in Reykjavik? No, I think we had tam-tams in Roulette as well for the performers mm. to uh. experience mm -hmm. as well. Because uh, they, they couldn't have performed a piece mm -hmm. <laughs> without, yeah. without actually hearing mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, and that but we did install uh, ten tam tams in Reykjavik here. Um, mm. You know, uh, we we thought there might be an audience, but then uh, uh, a quarter to the show, there there wasn't. Uh, but I I got to hear it, yeah, yeah. and that was really lovely. Hmm. Nice.
really beautiful piece and how it like kind of evolves over time um but you like how would you would say that it's in like three sections or movements or like would you consider it like kind of a process throughout as like a fully formed kind of organic thing um i would say it's it's kind of like three and a half movements maybe mm. uh, uh and i always kind of thought of it as uh you know something that i could maybe control more mm -hmm. which we didn't get to do because uh that would have been just like another level of complication you don't really need when you're already mm -hmm. dealing with such a complicated situation mm -hmm. um but yeah ideally somewhere where you could uh uh like ideally taking the piece to somewhere where you could uh, kind of halt and s or stay in one place and then move on you know mm -hmm. maybe maybe for example me me controlling that you know or yeah it's, it's not really i don't really see it as like a fully formed thing as mm -hmm. of now like um, the recording that we will hear or that we have heard mm -hmm. <laughs> um But yeah, but more kind of like uh, entering different states of being, as we talked about before. And I mean, looking at we, we didn't see like much of of the kind of you just saw glimpses of glimpses of the notation itself uh, on the video and the performance. Um, and, it, it, you know, the, they look like these like beautiful spirals almost with the. Uh, um kind of the pitches evolving around uh, all like starting from a g and then like spiraling outwards was that like can you explain a little bit like how the notation worked yeah well um yeah that took a took a while to understand um how how to get across uh the musical material Mm -hmm. I really had to think that one through. I think yeah, in the end, I um, came up with a video scores uh, where uh, I think the core, the main element is that you have uh, two circular elements. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when they're stacked right on top of each other, the performers are all performing their material at the same time. But when the when the circular elements move apart, the performers move apart as well, mm. starting to dovetail each other. Mm -hmm. And when you have the circular elements uh, completely like side to side, like a like a figure eight, you would say, mm -hmm. uh, this would mean that they are entering one at a time. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Nice. <laughs> So there's there's some part of it where they're they're following the directions of the, how the video moves, but it sounds like there's also a very large element where there's a feedback from listening to the them the tam tams basically right and interacting with the material and the score and with what they're hearing in the tam tams. Is that listening seems to be a big part of the performing for this? Uh, yeah, mostly it's listening to each other. That I would say uh, that would be the okay. biggest concern is like really listening to each other and uh, their instructions are to uh, really kind of mirror themselves in each other and uh, the the tam-tams yes sometimes at some key moments they become crucial 
but sometimes not as much. Yeah, I mean, they kind of kind of uh, appear much later in the piece as kind of a main element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's it's also kind of deceptive because um, a recording will maybe not do justice uh, for the original concept. Mm -hmm. uh, you you can't really hear all of the nuances very mm -hmm. well. But I'm still I'm still really happy with you, with yeah. what you actually can hear, and I think it also makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, the, these video scores in this piece are not necessarily meant to be seen by no. an audience, mm -hmm. but I suppose you know they would see them mm -hmm. in a performance. Yeah. They because of uh, the layout in a performance is mm -hmm. uh, circular. Mm -hmm. and symmetrical so naturally an audience would see them but mm -hmm. i feel like it, it wouldn't really distract because they are fairly cryptic mm -hmm. and this is kind of mm -hmm. why as well mm -hmm. you know um, you don't you don't want them to uh, you have to think about uh, again like what they're seeing and mm -hmm. what they're gonna think about it how they're gonna associate it with everything else mm -hmm. i'm interested in hearing your thoughts on harmony and in ecognosis it kind of spuns all out from these like you know really kind of monochromatic thing where everybody is like playing the same pitch and then it kind of spans out is this did you have to like make up a system for that and like how do you like are these pitches extracted from something else i see because I'm like also interested in when people uh, make the decisions about using microtones in general in the music. Um, my, my thought is always this is coming from somewhere. Um, and, uh, but how is it like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, in general, uh, I, I really feel like my use of microtonalities in my work just comes from the fact that I when things get too complicated I just can't hang with um, things that are too complex because I feel like the simplest thing is complex enough does, does that make sense? I just um, mm -hmm. really relish going into what what could be perceived as like uh, minute or simplistic or monochromatic and just really digging into it and like what's in there and how do we expand that uh, and I uh, th this is within echognosis I feel like that's the starting point you know and then we kind of expand our view a little bit and it grows and it changes. Um, I think I use also some sort of symmetrical growth, you know, some some hint of uh, just intonation in there, uh, but then changing and uh, and then moving into a sort of more, um, you know, maybe simplistic on paper, but in actuality really rough and rich which is, I think this is around minute maybe 12 that I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's in general just my view. Um, I, I, I find myself uh, 
almost uh, maybe it's overwhelmed to the point of boredom sometimes with music that uses a lot of complex uh, harmonic like a changing harmonic material you know like uh, you know, the old types of symphonic uh, stuff and uh, it's just um I, I think I think there's also a, a theory in there um, that might be in the air these days that things are so chaotic and fast these days that you know myself and I know a lot of, a lot of other people that you know I've whose music I listen to and who I talk to about this are just kind of drawn more into this kind of uh, simplistic uh, material simplistic i was using air quotes mm. uh, <laughs> for our radio I'm listeners sure that that's yeah. not red yes exactly <laughs> um it's you know it's like we're trying to smooth out all this clutter that is being shoved mm. into our heads we're trying to kind of uh, stretch it out and smooth it out and uh, come to terms with mm. our, our mm-hmm. crazy lives it, it sounds like you're almost even talking yes. about like some kind of active like not only just zooming in as like a conceptual thing or as like a compositional thing, but it's it sounds like you're talking about some kind of like I don't, I don't know if this actually has anything to, to do with what you put into your work, but I think there's an element of it. And like you said, I think it's in the air in some ways, this kind of like centering in on thing and this almost like meditation kind of practice of, yeah. you know, I, th- I think very much probably coming out of, you know, Oliveros and kind of the way we mm. want to change the way that we listen to something you know we can we can hear just a drone happening and kind of zoom into that and uh realize this rich you know world inside of that it's like simple on the surface but really when we it it allows us to take the time to go into the thing is that an accurate way of kind of looking at oh oh absolutely absolutely and you know uh, i i specifically went to mills college because of you know, uh, Pauline Oliveros in, in a sure, large yeah. way, you know, um, right. uh, I wanted to study with her and, uh, and the people there who were uh, thinking along similar lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you talk talk about our uh, everything being cluttered, um, and and for me, like new music is also pretty cluttered, and and you know has a lot of like different pockets of uh, uh, of groups. Um, and where do you see yourself like kind of fit in at these like? Yeah, ah, uh, um, I don't really know. I, I can't really, I still haven't quite figured that out. Um, mostly, I, I just like to, uh, I think I would like to associate myself with people who uh, are doing things and they, they're not quite sure what what's going to come out the other end. <laughs> you know, that's where I feel most comfortable. Like, uh, I understand those people and uh, you know, I relate to what they're doing. So, yeah, let's put me in that group. 
uh, <laughs> what's the name for that group of people? <laughs> I don't know if there's an ism for that, but mm. I, I think yeah. it's sounding like uh, definitely necessary to have some some form of, like you said, the uh, very kind of classic uh, usage of the word experimentalism, right? Experiment, mm. experimentation, people who try out, you know, things and test out things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's most of the time it's great, but you know, sometimes you fail. You know, I've I've had my uh, not so proud moments as well, where I'm like, this is terrible. Uh, I don't I don't like what happened here. <laughs> but you know, and then then you know that, and you move on. And like one thing that I'm like interested in as well is like now like you you are doing these kind of things, and like some I mean like you know graphic notation and experience and experimenting and making the um, making the performers being like active listener and taking part these are all like I would say uh, not like they're they're ideas that have been around for a very long time mm -hmm. um, and like how do you feel like uh, do you think it's important to kind of uh, be aware of that lineage yeah I, I I absolutely think it's you know it's important but I don't think it's necessary and you know it can also detract if if you're not in the right uh, place with it like mm. I'm you know I feel like uh, I feel like I slowly came to the work that I'm doing now uh, like I, I don't think I was exposed to everything all at once, which is good, I think. Uh, definitely, you know, at the beginning, like uh, going back to like that first piece, Lohan Amalia, uh, really grateful that I didn't really know what had happened before. Um, and I, I'm not sure, you know, that I still kind of can find a clear like a predecessor for that piece. Um, uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm kind of just grateful that I kind of came to things on my own uh, terms at the beginning and then kind of slowly, you know, got to know other like work that had come before. Uh, I didn't feel like it got in my way at all. It kind of just made me understand myself more. Is what I'm. I think I'm trying to get at, like, um, like, uh, like, oh, you know, this is all like, this is all uh, like a joint, almost like a common consciousness that we we kind of come to these conclusions separately or like these adjacent seeming conclusions, and then obviously, you know, I've been informed and affected, like slowly and surely but i i feel like i i had that beginning of just pure joy of discovery that i can kind of still feel and take from and enjoy beautiful oh, yeah that makes sense it's similarly like thinking since since we're bringing up this kind of arc of you know 
your work in some ways and kind of like from let's say from that the Lindsay Lohan piece as kind of an entering into uh, uh, kind of time frame and now you know Econosis being a much newer piece you know something we haven't talked about at all that I'm kind of curious about is I think it's super interesting the way that you your your history as a performer speaking my, myself as a performer and have, I think having gone through a very, kind of a very similar um, kind of education and realization kind of moments or situation as you in some ways um, but uh, you have worked with other performers obviously and uh, you know we already talked about kind of your process for working with them and how you maybe work in this kind of open way and you're uh, willing to be surprised etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I guess kind of bringing together all those different threads and then also the thread that Georg was talking about, about, uh, about kind of, you know, different camps of, of experimental music or different camps of new music and whatnot. Um, are you, I mean, this is kind of open in some ways, but I guess part of the question is maybe how are you, uh, kind of moving forward with work, work with working with other performers, but similarly, something we haven't talked at all about yet. It almost it felt like you talked about this kind of divorce moment with, let's say, your previous self, your French horn uh, classical playing self, and then you had to like go into this new, you know, realm of compo being a composer, and you're not a classical French horn player, uh, and get out of that. Do you feel like you can almost? bring that back in some way to a certain extent or, or are you performing these days or are you thinking about a performance practice and how that you can maybe bring those things closer instead of them having to be so segregated in some way yeah I I for me I just can't really I don't think I'm not convinced I can ever really bring these things together I do mm. perform sometimes uh, mm. Uh, I do play the horn every now and again, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not not really in these contexts. Mm. Uh, that's it. Almost feels like yes, reverting to some sort of different mm. side of me where that I really enjoy as well. Just like um, mm -hmm. performing uh, like in perfect harmony with other people, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. like chords and. Uh, Mm -hmm. sequences yeah i just really also i do enjoy that a lot yeah um uh, but you know you know i've i've tried i've tried uh, well you know i do improvise on the horn mm -hmm. as well but not not for myself really not not mm. on not my own agenda, not my own music, really. It's more like, a, mm. you know, if it's in the context of other things. Like, a, like a, us in Slauter, we worked with uh, Alvin Lucier and Christian Wolf, mm. for example. Mm -hmm. You know, and that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and that also kind of feels like a completely separate thing from uh, playing in, like, a chamber group or a pop group obviously but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but no but but for me like within my own music no i don't really i don't really uh there there's not really much overlap there yeah yeah so you really do keep them kind of separated in some way yeah i think i think just uh the 
performing, the classical performing, became so synonymous with uh, just like stage fright and perfectionism uh, mm -hmm. and the uniformism that just doesn't marry with what I am interested in as a composer. And unfortunately, that's just still kind of, it's stuck with me. And yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe when I'm like 50, 60, maybe things will change. <laughs> when you get enough distance. <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Also, also keep in mind the French horn is really hard to keep up some sort of uh, uh, pro, like a you know, uh, a high level of performing on. It's it's a really hard right. instrument to keep up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So like the time devoted to that would be, I think, too much for me at right. this point. Right. Maybe I'll take maybe I'll take it up again as a hobby when I retire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a great retirement thing. To have. Yeah, no, but it sounds like, you know, you it's obviously that past has informed how you work with other players today. Right. And, and it sounds like you're kind of I, I keep bringing up this word, I guess, because I'm obsessed with it. But your your way of um, you, you, I think something that I really, you know, admire about your work is that kind of while you say there's this kind of willingness to be surprised and this openness. To me, it seems like some very masterful control, actually, in a paradoxical sense of being able to work with other players um, and other uh, um, yeah other players while still kind of having some clear compositional ideas and this kind of open idea because uh, that just for our, I guess for listeners who aren't aware one of the things that Georg was talking about in terms of lineage like the open score idea has a long lineage and a long history and whatnot that you know just we're not going to be able to, we're not going to get to in this podcast but maybe we'll you know, do, do a different here and there yeah do different podcasts to yeah, focus exactly. on that yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe in another episode but you know Maniac. the the way that you are able to work in um with that kind of idea i find really admirable because there it seems like you have a really beautiful balance between the two elements the the kind of I, I hate to say it, but the kind of like yin and yang of the open score idea is this kind of balance of still maintaining a certain level of control um, mm. while kind of having openness in other ways. And I think that is, uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about that, but I, I find that to be really interesting because um, not there are many open score pieces that are very different that are much more heavy on the, um, let's say, the open side of things. And, you, you know, it, the they they sometimes just fall short in some way because there's there's less direction or something the performers mm. it's not made for those the right performers or um, mm. you know the the thing that that performer brings to it you know isn't the right thing for the piece and all these all these considerations are become so complicated with with the idea of an open score piece and yeah i don't know if there's anything more just kind of generally in that you want to speak towards what your thoughts are with that, but I, I find that really, I guess I'm just applauding you, but mostly basically, because I think that's, I think it's kind of <laughs> oh, a wild practice um, that's very interesting, especially um, thinking of your background as a performer and whatnot. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, yeah, like uh, in, term, in terms of, 
you know, finding control versus openness. Uh, it's it's just like a scale for me. Like you have to you have to carefully weigh and measure, and you know, like you say, it can tip too far, and then you uh, you know uh, space for indeterminacy is is uh, you know it's it's one of the most apparent and established qualities when we're talking about experimental music but mm-hmm. but again like um, how you approach it is also it it, it becomes you know um, it, it tells you a lot about a person i think as well uh, I feel like the way I've approached, approached it, you know, it's it's so uh, idiosyncratic. Is that the right mm-hmm. word? Yeah, yeah. What yeah, is it? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like sometimes, sometimes I'm not sure, you know, people will relate to what I'm doing, you know, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it does come with also uh, some anxiety. You know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. as all risk risk taking is always anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's always something I have to try to temper down when I'm working on this. Mm-hmm. Just trust yeah, yeah, yeah. trust the process, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe ah, it right. won't work, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe it will. And like I've said, right, you yeah. know, I I've I've also had failures. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. and that's beautiful as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, and it's always finding <laughs> the finding the balance like I, I remember like you you were probably as well in the Mills College uh, improv ensemble I don't know uh, with with Zena Parkins um, great harpist oh yeah I was I was a, a teaching assistant I think in my last year uh, I, I mean I, I played with them for for uh, like two semesters or like with Zena um, and like a lot of the things I mean a lot of people were bringing in in and like super open scores um, students and like all of the pieces ended sounding a little bit similar yeah uh, except for like maybe with two three um, two three exceptions each time um and that it's like i don't know like um like you know you will this is because um yeah if you leave if you leave too much space uh you are opening up for people's uh personalities to dominate and exist within Mm -hmm. the piece Mm -hmm. and this is what happens and it's not Mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad thing uh, if you, if if you want to if this is what you want to experience as a person's uh, individuality and personality, then of course that, that's what you should uh, offer to the performer. But if you are more controlling and <laughs> have uh, clearer s- sonic ideas, you know that you have uh-huh. to figure out a way to curb uh, an identity uh-huh. as well. And you know, and that's as something as that that. Uh, it's it's always been a struggle with me. Um, I I would hate to say that I'm uh, uh, curbing someone's expression or, uh, you know that that sounds awful to me because that that's how I used to feel like you know. Um, uh. But but 
at the same time, this is what I have started doing and <laughs> I'm still doing, you know. <laughs> That's uh, what I've been trying to get, get, get you yeah. to just say this whole time. So thank yeah, you yeah, yeah. finally ad- admitted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, not like getting everyone out of the cage. It's just like open up the doors, give them enough chocolate so they <laughs> behave inside the inside the yeah. box and exactly and, yeah. now, now, uh, now we're getting into like psychological experiments yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know um but th- this this is exactly what i'm uh, playing with in, in my piece areole undant which is a mm. a piece for uh, six performers and uh, a light conductor i call it so i'm performing on this kind of a light fixture that has a sensor attached to it and i'm i'm basically ordering uh, I'm creating pa- an evolving pattern with the performers, which is which is a very um, that's kind of a pre-thought out constructed material. But then I leave. Uh, I created also this kind of a what I call a sub score, just like a drop down layer. You know, if if you take away that control and you actually let the performers be themselves, what will happen? Uh, and then I wrestle the control back, and then I, I let it go again, and it's a, it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing. I really like that piece that I made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting to hear you say that because it's not just a matter of just picking one or the other. Is, is what it sounds like you're saying. Like it's not just a matter of picking just control or just you can do yeah. in one piece. You can have this almost like fluctuation or this mm. kind of like. spectrum thing where you're wrestling back control and getting you know a little bit more openness to the performer and then bringing it back in and I think that's uh, I think that's really fascinating and yeah your music does that so well so um, I guess congrats to you (laughs) and cheers (laughs) and I I think you've taken up a lot of your time um, and thanks again for doing this Uh, uh, thank you for talking to me it's been wonderful